Are you still there? Did you ever leave? Next on Eternal Dirtles. Hey, I just want to give a quick shout out to all of our Patreon supporters out there. Thank you to the Dirtle Maniacs. If you want to be a Dirtle Maniac, go to patreon.com slash eternal dirtles and help support the channel. It keeps things going. It keeps things updated. Thanks so much for watching. On with the show. Hello and welcome to Eternal Dirtles. I'm your host, Zach Clark, and with me as always, Phil Blackman. Phil, how's it going, man? Zach, I, nobody cares how I'm doing, man. We got Mike Flores <laughs> with us on the cast today. Mike, welcome to the pod. Oh, thanks for having me. Yeah, man, this is great. So we, uh, you know, full full disclosure, uh, Michael and I just spent the last half hour talking about uh, magic in like 1997, uh, which you'll get to see at our Chica- uh, uh, MagicCon Chicago uh, panel that I'm doing. Uh, so if you're in Chicago, you'll want to check that out. But uh, we're here today uh, with Michael to talk about pre-modern. Uh, so yeah, you have a you have a, a podcast called Spike Colony with Lanny Wong, and uh, and you basically like you are the guy for for pre-modern lately. This is this oh. is where people go to talk about pre-modern. I uh, I appreciate it. Um, I think that uh, I probably don't deserve that. I'm neither the best <laughs> pre-modern player nor the best pre-modern deck designer, but. I have to say, I just had a little bit of a, a reputation outside of pre-modern. So when I started playing, people were like, oh, wow, this is like a, a big deal. I just like it. Like, I just tell you, I, honestly, I just like it. Uh, I'm so grateful it exists. Uh, and if I am the guy, then fantastic. But it's not deserved. <laughs> yeah, I mean, you're, you're the guy in that you're the guy talking about it. You're, you're you know, you're where people go to, to, to you know, Vent, vent about uh, that that format. I feel like uh, you know, and, and and it's it's one of those things where uh, you know it's it's not just that like hey you're just a person who talks about the format, but you have experience uh, through uh, through playing through those eras as well. And I think that's something that resonates with the people that that uh, play pre modern. So um, this is pretty funny. Uh, I have a I have a friend. Uh, the thing that people maybe probably know about me is. Throughout my career as a magic content creator, writer, pro tour player, whatever you want to call it, coach, I guess I've been a coach for a long time. Uh, I just always have had a, a string of young men who have been my apprentice at one time or another. You know, Grand Prix champion Steve Saden, Josh Rabbits for a long time, Roman Fusco, my partner at the uh, at Ancestral Recall. Uh, I've just been a, a string of, of, uh, of young men following me around and, uh, you know, like learning it at the foot of the sensei, or I'm, I'm now grandfather, uh, because, uh, because of this, but a, a kid by the name of Patrick O'Halloran Gannon, um, he, uh, he decided he wanted to be my apprentice. So what he did one day was he saw that I had posted about pre-modern and I had never played a game of pre-modern. So what happened was I was cleaning through my old magic cards and um, I found some decks. I found like my, my Napster deck that, uh, you know, still together, my hatred deck from the summer of 1999. I, I took pictures and I just posted them on social media. And Brian Kowal, my old teammate and righteous babe said, oh, you should frame this deck in reference to the Napster deck. And I'm like, frame it. Well, what if I ever need Richard on port? This was, so like, I only own I only want to own one copy of Richard on port. I actually own multiple sets of Richard on port, including a beautiful set of Japanese ones. Uh, you might know the story. Uh, John Finkel has them, has them still since the summer of 2000. Uh, I was in his hotel room at Nationals 2000, and I said, "Oh, John, can you give me my Japanese Richard on ports back? You've had them for a year." I was uh, sorry, 2001, right? Um, and he's like, I don't have your Richard on boards. I'm like, you definitely have them. You won the U.S. Nationals with them. Then you won the World Championships with them. Uh, I would like to have them back if that's okay, right? And and he's just like, I don't have them. Look in my binder. So look at his binder. On the first page, there's a set of Japanese Richard on boards. And I'm like, here they are. And he's like, can I borrow them for my fires deck tomorrow? <laughs> so he still has the effing Richard on boards. So anyway, I only own one set as a result of these Richard on boards. Being in John Finkel's Nationals winning, Worlds winning, and the Nationals top eighting uh, decks in consecutive years. So I said to Brian Cole, I said, I can't frame this Napster deck, although it's a good idea. I might need the Richard ports. He said, when will you ever need Richard on ports unless you're going to play pre-modern? And I said, what is pre-modern? And that was the first domino. So Patrick O'Halloran Gannon, um, uh, decided he wanted to be my apprentice so it this he will he will talk your ear off about this right he long conned michael J. so he's just like 
I'm going to put together pre-modern decks. And uh, so I said, oh, this looks pretty cool. But what ended up happening was I didn't take it seriously or anything. I was just like, oh, whatever. It's like a weird nostalgia format. It's not an official format or anything. But a bunch of my friends are going to this thing called LobsterCon. Right, so Kowal said, "I'm going to go to LobsterCon," and I found out Olarade was going to go to LobsterCon. <gasps> Olarade, right? So I'm like, "Oh, this is cool. Like, I'm not doing anything. I'm going to go. I'm going to go to Boston. I'm just going to play in this thing. Who cares, right? Like, I'm going to use it as an excuse to see BK. We were coming out of the pandemic. I hadn't seen anyone in two years, and I hadn't seen BK. So I'm like, I'm just going to go do this. And Brian Manalakos had me on uh, the second. I'm like, oh yeah, I guess I'll play your weird." unofficial format or whatever right now just come on atc right so um so we're, we're just gonna do this so patrick Hallan granted saw that i was tweeting about pre-modern so he puts together a bunch of pre-modern decks he says oh i heard you're going to this thing called lobster con don't you think you should practice so i'm like i don't know i guess <laughs> so he put together these decks and so we played and the first game i played uh this is a famous story in our friend circle um, I was playing Aaron Dix's Bobble Burn deck, and I put down a first turn Mog Fanatic. And Pog it just like scoffs at it. He's like, is that card even good? Right? And I said, This card's gonna do six to you. You should probably you should probably sort some clusters. He's like, This card isn't good. It ended up doing seven. Uh and so two things happened. A, he gained a respect for Mog Fanatic, and B, I fell in love with Premodern. I fell in love with Premodern in that game. Right, so I had spent so much time playtesting Red Decks wins decks based on Siyoshi Fujita's uh, Columbus 2004 build, and there was just like, a feel for this because for now I had Fire Blast and Ball Lightning, and I was just in love. And we were, and I, I fell in love with the Red Deck that day, uh, and so we just played so much pre-modern. And Paul got what he wanted; he got me, got me to be his his, his magic mentor. Um, and so I wasn't even really in the community at all, right? So when I went to LobsterCon, I like I knew two people total who played pre-modern. One of them was David Tao, and one of them uh, who's a, a local friend of mine. He's like kind of like our sub godfather of, of pre-modern meetups. Uh, and I knew BK, and so BK had said to me, he's just like uh, we were discussing what decks are good or whatever, and he's like, you know, they they unpower level errata the replenish cards the parallax cards so i pretended like i knew what that meant because i didn't want to look stupid so <laughs> i'm like oh yeah yeah replenish is probably good because they unpower level errata the the parallax cards so the night so i'm fully intending to play another deck but the night before i go to boston i literally just start separately texting uh david tao and bk and i made my replenish deck once i figured out I first figured out that this was a one-sided Armageddon. I didn't even know any of the other stuff, right? Like, I didn't know there was a lot of infinite combos that were available to a replenish deck. I didn't know what any of them were. I only knew that there was a one-sided Armageddon available. And then BK says to me, so you know that just an opalescence and a parallax wave together makes you immune to creature damage and you have infinite vigilance. And I said, of course I knew that. Um, so, <laughs> so then... I made a run the next day. I made a run. Uh, I only lost games to Phil Espel, uh, Flint Espel. Sorry. I only lost games to Flint Espel, and he only lost games to me. No one remembers that we were one and one in LobsterCon that year. I beat him in the Swiss, but he beat me in the top four before winning the entire thing. So um, it was, uh, it was a, a great experience. I loved every minute of it. It was the best tournament I had been to in 20 years. Uh, and the thing that I will say about it is when I walked into LobsterCon 2022, I knew like one person in the room, like two people, maybe like I knew, I knew Mano, right? When I walked into LobsterCon 2023, I had a room full of my best friend and it was unbelievable. Like it is unbelievable. Like I'm in, I mean, like, that is, that is what those nostalgia formats are for is like it, to bring people together, you know, a room full of my best friend. That is, yeah. it is unbelievable how like and i mean lobster cons 2023 i didn't top eight again lanny finished third itai kurtzman who was um uh the third so we have a team called hot dog state university it's a hilarious story between me patrick o'halloran gannon and itai uh so itai kurtzman first pre-modern tournament uh he came in second lanny came in third so you know the new york crew 
uh, is doing a good job representing it at LobsterCon every year. But I didn't care that I didn't do well. It was just one of the best weekends I ever had in my entire life, even better than LobsterCon 2022. And LobsterCon 2022 was the best tournament I had been at in 24 years. Um, I mean, just better better than Pro Tours that I did well enough that I was qualified for the next Pro Tour. Better than Pro Tours where I won actual money. <laughs> <You know? laughs> better than Grand Prix where I made a deep day two run. Better than any of those. It was just so great. And so, um, you know, now my a big part of just my social life is just revolves around playing pre-modern. Uh, and anyway, is that and physical I, hard uh, photo deck lists? I feel like is a thing. I there's so an art. I I love <laughs> making deck photos. That's like one of my favorite things. Um, so I, I'll tell I'll tell this. I, I never talked about this anywhere else before. So you get this exclusive content. There is this notion of net decking that persists everywhere, right? So we were talking earlier about. Um, you know, people hiding their technology or whatever. But at some point, decklists became public. If you go to a tournament that uses Melee, for example, every decklist is public in Melee, right? So there's no hiding decks anymore. Uh, when I was coming up, um, people made their own decks at a much higher frequency. In the early to mid-2000s, people played Flores decks. So there was a deck called Flores Blue, and there was a deck called Flores Black, and there was whatever. Uh, and my decks were, I don't know if they were so much better or worse than anybody else's decks, but I made them and I was a, you know, a famous magic columnist or whatever. And so there was some amount of branding there, uh, but people made their own decks as late as 2009 when I made Nia lightsaber that no one had ever seen this deck before. Right. Andre Corbin won the world championship. It's no longer the case that people really make or play their own decks, right? They make or play decks largely that are created by the hive mind. Um, this is there's a I'll caveat this and put an asterisk for pre-modern because I that is something that's changing right now, which is amazing to me. But they largely play decks that are created by the hive mind. And so if the thing that you mostly liked about magic, like I did for a long time, was to make decks, you don't play your own deck very often. I mostly play Aaron Dix's decks right now, as an example, right? But what you can do in the in the art of making the deck pick, right, is you can collect wacko versions of cards and put them together or you can collect beautiful versions of cards right and that like this is so i both have i, I own i own three full together red decks right one of them is gorgeous because lanny gave me his fbb lightning bolts he's just like i'm not ever gonna play these and you love them so i'm just gonna give them to you right so he gave me his, so i completed this beautiful red deck right and then i also have this wackadoo red deck which is like kev walker jackal pops and like uh you know new border new printing red elemental blast this is the most ridiculous stuff i get criticized because there's no new border curse scroll but i got gold bordered curse scrolls from the brian hacker sideboard from the most of my World most of my stuff is gold bordered yeah <laughs> but i'm really good friends with brian hacker who moved to new york <laughs> so i'm gonna have hacker sign brian resign hacker them yeah. on top of the, the gold print signature right nice. like the process of shadowing. doing this collecting these cards and making a beautiful deck or making a meme deck or whatever allows players to customize their experience. And I think that is the thing that is one of the things that I really love about magic. Right. Now. Um, you can do it. You can do it anywhere. Right. Um, like when I, I, I got back into serious player on 2014. Right. So I never really quit, but I wasn't playing serious tournaments until my it, uh, 10 years into having kids. Right. Um, then I immediately won a bunch of PTUs, right? So um, I I went and I stayed in Utah and I stayed with my friend Aaron Murnaka, who was my first win in the history of the Pro Tour. In 1996, I beat Aaron Murnaka at the 01 table. Aaron Murnaka was like a back-to-back -back Pro Tour top four player at the time. Still better than I am, right? So I was still capable, good at being a Pro Tour, but such a generous person. So I stayed with him in Utah and I showed him the deck that I qualified with and he looked at things and he says to me, oh, somebody did really well at FNM. And I had never played in an FNM at the time, uh, but I just collected weird printings of cards because I thought that people wouldn't be familiar with this picture, so they'd be more apt to make a mistake on the table, right? That was my motivation between behind having this version of, of Dissolve versus a standard version of Dissolve. Like, it costs 25 cents more, I might get a free win, right? So then I was just like, Oh, you get these normally by winning FNM? Like that was like, yeah. it never occurred to me. Like I just bought them <laughs> off a website, right? So, um, 
so you get you get a combo of that, right? Like especially in pre-modern, you can play cards that don't look like magic cards. Although now they're printing circular logics at sorcery speed. It's gotten <laughs> a little ridiculous, maybe. But you know, I, we have jumped friends, the shark. I feel like. three of my friends sent me that new Price of Progress the same like within an hour of each other, and I'm like, yeah. this is too ugly. Like this, <laughs> this is not even any art on this. This is horrible, right? So, um, anyway, I mean, Eternal Dirtles is proud to be sponsored by Moxfield. Moxfield is the best Magic the Gathering deck building website on the internet. You can create, share, and find decks from Commander to Legacy and even fan-supported formats like Premodern and Old School. You can see all of our decks on our Moxfield. Follow the links below to stay tuned. What Probably. you're saying resonates with both of us because uh, Phil Phil's thing is he, he gets all of his cards altered to like be full art. So, yeah. yeah. Oh, go ahead, Phil. I've talked to uh, I was just going to say, yeah, like the, the customization part has been something that I've, I've adored for the entirety of the time that I've been playing Magic to the point where when I first got into uh, Alters, it's because all of, my, all of my friends had like the most tricked out, fully foiled legacy decks at the time. And I was just like, man, like foil chase the mind sculptor is a lot of dollars. Like there's got to be another way for me to be able to express myself here in a way like, and feel part of this, like, you know, chasing, uh, you know, cloud chasing to a degree. But then I got a chance to play with a friend's fully foiled deck. And I was like, man, like the, the foils don't really do it for me. You know, I'm not like, I'm not, I'm not getting antsy with these cards in my hand. You know, there's gotta be something else. And so uh, I always wanted to get tattoos but I'm on blood dinners and also a coward. And so uh, what ended up happening instead was I got my first altars and then opened my hand of, you know, I'm playing in the paint. And uh, that really resonated with me. And then I've been, uh, so been doing it ever since. You tattooed time, all your magic cards. Exactly. I tattooed all my magic cards. And at the time, <laughs> getting your cards altered, it didn't matter what the card was. Like, it could be a Jace. It could be a Ponder. The altar is going to cost more or less the same thing, depending on the art altars that you use. whereas the foil discrepancy was gigantic. And so I was like, wow, I can actually like get into the pimp game, so to speak, way cheaper than all of my friends that are going, you know, fully Japanese foil awesome stuff. And uh, but now, nowadays it's like, no foils, you can't, you can't give away your foils. There's too many of them. Aaron, uh, Aaron's like me. He owns multiple copies of his, you know, Bobble Red deck in pre-modern, but one of them is completely foiled out, including cards that were never printed in foil. So he actually had cards chemically changed to to be foiled. So he has like fully foiled cards of multiple cards that just were never in foil, which is I think one of the coolest things that I've ever heard of. Uh, so, well, okay. So now we're 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 getting into the thick of, of pre modern here and why it's so great. But let's talk about pre modern right now, right? Uh, you know, our last pre-modern episode was with Phil Wynn, and uh, this was right after uh, land tax got banned. Um, what does what does pre-modern look like right now? Like, what's the metagame like? Who knows? Who knows, man? It's it's just the wild west every time. Um, I I approached pre-modern wrong when I first came in. I thought everybody understood how to min max deck selection the way that I understood how, and I'm just like, oh, well, elves and Elves and uh, Red Deck are just the best, like on win rate and populations. People just like metagaming against those. People play land still and stuff like that. I didn't realize people just played whatever the hell they wanted. Um, okay, there's just like no mathematical reason to play the Rock. I'll give you an example, right? So the people joke. I started the joke where like the Rock is a 45% win rate deck. It's actually about a 44.5% win rate deck. Not quite to 45%. Uh, you, no one should play the rock on win rate. They play it because they love it. Uh, I, I've played it in <laughs> tournaments because I love it. Uh, but it's not good. Uh, it's not good insofar that it is a it is a sub sub 50% win rate deck. So I thought no one should play it. But, but the thing is, uh, some people do play the rock, and the rock actually has good matchups against some good decks. So that's weird. I'm like, people just do whatever the hell they want. Uh, they don't care. And um, I think it is more like that than it was six months ago or whenever when land tax uh, was legal in pre-modern. You really just do whatever the hell you want. Uh, I think that we have had at least two important generations of deck design rest renaissance since land tax was, uh, was banned, which is shocking to me that you could say that for a fixed card format. There's more innovation and new decks being designed, played, and succeeding right now in pre-modern than in any format I've ever seen. 
which Certainly is in standard. Yeah, yeah. Unbelievable to say. So one of the first things that happened was some decks got freed up, right? So I think the red deck just wasn't very good when uh, the two best decks in the format were Parfait, which is the land tax kind of prison deck, and um, and Blue White Dreadnought were the two best decks. Like both of those decks are prohibitively good against the red deck. So one thing happened was that the red deck got a lot better than it was. Uh, so that was like a, a metagame shift. But then a, a weird thing that happened with Lantex getting banned was people just tried to build different kind of parfait prison shells with different solutions to Lantex. So you had players trying things like mulch, or you had players trying things like gush in place of Lantex. Go go figure island island versus uh, first turn basic planes, but people tried it, right? So mulch and... and, and Mulch and gush basically in uh in parfait shells was the thing people were doing. But then another thing people did, a completely different direction, was all right, we're gonna play the parfait shell, we're gonna we're gonna use white control elements and oath of druids, but instead of getting um you know, recycling our deck with Gaia's Blessing, we're just gonna get a big terravore, right? So what ended up happening is this entire other wing of decks came out that was just oathing out a terravore, typically a green white deck. We call it Oath Palouche after after my friend. His name isn't Palouche, but <laughs> Francisco Palachek. But we call it Oath Palouche anyway. Uh, and then competing with Oath Palouche at the same time was a mono green version that has no such allegiance to like Parfait. It's like a lot of the same cards, but not all the same cards. The deck is just like eight Thermocarsts and Winter's Grasps. And you're just like, well, is this good? And the question is, I don't know, but you certainly couldn't play eight Winter's Grasps and Thermocarsts when somebody was playing Lantax, right? So so <laughs> these rise is two of the more successful new archetypes. Most recently, um, Francisco has basically taken the mono-green kind of Thermocarst Winter's Grasp deck, just added a little red land for some Pyroclasms and has a red-green version that's being very successful. So there's red-green, white green and mono green versions of like the oath no guys blessing terror strategy there are at least two different versions of um kind of a the descendants of of rich shay which are like kind of the parfait shell with uh either gush or mulch rich himself won uh, a monthly two months ago with a a mulch based based version and then even more recently like in the last two or three weeks other prominent members of the community have come up with other completely new, innovative, and different decks. And the thing is not that new decks are being made. People have terrible ideas constantly. It's that they're winning with them, right? So Aaron Dix, uh, I think Aaron Dix might have broken the format. And just like, he, oh, did he, he make it? I, I'll just, I just want to jump in here and, ta- and talk about one of the decks Aaron Dix beat me with in, in one of the monthlies. Uh which was a, uh, I was playing Red Deck Wins, you know, just the, the classic Ball Lightning slide deck, right? And he beat me by putting a Treacherous Link on one of my creatures and then putting a Pariah on it and then killing me with his, with his Painlands. Uh, Aaron's <laughs> current deck is not nearly so As a monster. <laughs> so Aaron won, I can't remember the name of the, the tournament that he won, a big tournament. He beat David Daniel, who's another, who's the Spring Fling champion uh, from last year. He beat him in the finals. Uh, David Daniel's playing a, a port of the uh, kind of Desolation Angel deck from Invasion Block Constructed. He made it all the way to the finals. Aaron is playing a black-blue Psychonaut deck. So it's like a jam-together uh, mono-blue uh, Phyrexian Dreadnought deck with black-blue Psychotog. And I feel like he maybe he broke the format because it just fixes a lot of the problems other other Dreadnought decks had. They're just like, oh well, you might get raced by elves or you might get raced by goblins. But well, this is the this is the mono blue twelve twelve deck that has four engineered plague in the sideboard. Good luck, buddy. And like it has a second primary threat. So if somebody is just like meddling mages, your Phyrexian Dreadnought, you have Psychotog, which is potentially even bigger. It's amazing. So he he won this big tournament. I can't remember the name of it beat David Daniel in the finals, and then went on to top eight the IRL Misty tournament like two days later, right, in uh, uh, in Wisconsin. So um, so there's that. And then uh, Flint Espel, who is the LobsterCon 2022 champion uh, with uh, Angry Hermit, uh, is playing a new Angry Hermit deck with Doomsday, which is the filthiest deck anyone's ever seen. Like, when pe- people look at this, the rea- the average reaction is, Save some combos for the rest of us. So it's a it's a th- 
three color, four color uh, kind of vision charm Phyrexian Dreadnought deck and a Hermit Sutured Ghoul deck and a Doomsday combo deck. And he managed to cram it all in in uh in 60 cards and he has two different transformation paths out of the sideboard it's bazonkers uh i i of course i built a copy for myself but it's going yeah. to osip levadovich this week at our meetup so osip will probably rack up uh his his first meetup win of the of the year on this one uh but it so i mean if you look at flint's deck from last year he played um he played a, a i'm gonna call it mono blue fluctuator deck it was just among the best built best tuned decks i've ever seen you're just like oh it's just a fluctuator deck i'm like no the individual card decisions in this that facilitate the sideboard were amazing like it is it's like unreal to me how good the deck design in pre-modern is comma and this is a fixed card format right like the individual design decisions in francisco's red green um oath ponza deck are so precise and like they are worthy of the Zvimashowitzes and the Patrick Chapins of the past, right? Like amazing deck design. And they're just like the smallest little details that allow you to divide by zero, right? There's like, this is infinite value. This is infinite value. The average person doesn't even see how good they are necessarily, right? They're embedded in these decks. And Aaron and Flint both came out with different takes on uh, kind of a Vision Charm, Phyrexian Dreadnought deck that are radically different than anything anyone has seen in years and, like, attack the metagame from completely different angles. And, I mean, just he just literally just took his deck from 2022 and added a third combo. Like, it's, it's, it's crazy. And it's good. He 6-0'd the monthly. He lost in the top four, though. He lost in the top four. 6-0'd the monthly, beat Replenish in the top eight, and then it would have been better if he won the whole thing. But it's still a pretty good story. Yeah, and it's wild to think about, like, you know, I, I think I've been playing pre-modern for, a, I, I'll, I'll say, a conservative six years. Oh, you're, the, you're way more early, storied than I am, Zach. Well, the early, you know, early iterations of the format when, like, people were, people were like, hey, you can play Cadaverous Bloom. And I was like, yes, I'm in. Um, but it's wild to think that in that time, we're still getting people innovating on this on this like closed format. Like, there's no cards coming in. People are just coming up with new ideas, and that to me is like it's just so it's it's magical, you know. I also want to give a little bit of foil for um, listeners to know, like, as as big game as Michael J is talking about these incredible deck building decisions. There are also, as he mentioned, a lot of bad deck building decisions. And I want to just give a nod to the one time that Michael J and I have actually gotten to play pre modern. Uh, we sat down across from each other, and I won the die roll, and I said, I'll be on the draw. And Michael J. shook his head. He was like, what did you just say to me? And I said, I'll take the draw, please. And he was like, well, I guess I'm probably dead. I don't know what's happening anymore. And then I proceeded to try and cast Tithe, and then didn't do anything else for the rest of the game. <laughs> so, oh, man. Yeah, yeah. Uh, I thought you were going to be a reanimator deck when you decided to do yeah. second. I'm like, oh, I'm probably dead. Uh, but no, you were, you were just getting a small small amount of card uh, advantage was, in planes form. I was trying to get that extra planes, Michael J. Yeah, just the one extra. Just like, but you were just doing the thing that I was describing before, Phil, which is people take the Parfait Shell. All the other cards are still in it, right? Oath of Druids is still a very powerful card, right? The, all the rest of the, the machinery that made Parfait what it was is still there. It's just they took out the most, honestly, they took out the second most broken card, but don't say anything. <laughs> like, Oath of Druids probably the bigger bigger problem than, than land tax but they took that one out and you were just taking it from a different angle some people are trying to gush some people are trying to mulch you're trying to tithe like everybody's seeing this and they're like well we need we need to fill this hole somewhere um a card that was like banned in every format it was legal in is hard to is hard to easily uh, yeah. replace I, now that it is properly banned in, in pre-modern also, for the people who are getting turned on by this pod and are going to, you know, experiment and get into pre-modern a little bit, even though the card pool is fixed, know what cards are legal. Because when I had my original type, the, the original build of type, when I was going to sleeve it up against you, I kid you not, I was like, God, gosh, damn it. I have done it. I was like, nobody sees it. I'm going to be the guy that saw it when nobody else did. And I kid you not, I had like 14 different deck lists, all of, all of like new parfait. Uh, and I was I was calling it Cafe Olay. I was like, I'm going to be the fun guy. It's because I had Gift of Estates. I had four Gift of Estates in all of my builds. 
Gift of the States is one in a white sorcery. If you have less lands than your opponent, you get to search your library for three planes. I was like, I broke it. And then I learned Gift of the States is not legal in the format. <laughs> Uh, I, I had this, I had this thought where, um, uh, one of the guys on uh, local New York scene, Eddie, the intern, um, he plays a, uh, a red blue, a red blue combo deck that's based around uh frenetic of free and uh chance encounter. Right. Yes. And we were the brainstorming splitter twin of the format. Yeah. Like how do, how do we make this better in this context? And I'm like, she just have flash. <laughs> you had flash that you could just, you could. You could initiate the combo at the opponent's end step, but then she's like, oh my god, it's so ingenious. I'm like, Flash is this solution. And I'm like, oh my god, Flash is unreal. Like, why don't we make all these other Flash decks? <laughs> I'm just like, oh man, I'm just, I should just be flashing in, uh, you know, Academy Rectors. Like, oh my god, I broke it. I, I broke it over Eddie the Intern's stupid chance encounter deck. And then, like, five minutes later, I'm like, Ugh, Flash is legal. <laughs> Because why would Very it be? Very banned. Very banned. Because why would it be legal? <laughs> what we're kind of idiot we're, we're thinks... Looking at, we're looking at Oath of Druids and Gush and being like, yeah, this is fine. Unlike you guys, I walked into the format and was like, all right, I'm going to start with Necropotence. And they were like, that's banned. I was like, okay, I guess I better look at the ban list. <laughs> I mean, to be fair, Flash is way less objectionable than some of the cards that are sure, legal. Yeah. <laughs> But it is, uh, you know, I think it creates some interesting deck designs. Um, but yeah, I was like, oh my gosh, let's go Flash! No, no, Flash isn't legal. Yeah, Michael uh, J. On, with regards to it being a fixed format and having the conversation here, and then also last time when we were at the meetup, where you're talking about this blue-black psych- psychonaut deck might have, be, might be the thing that actually breaks it. What do you think actually happens theoretically if there is just clearly like? Here's the busted deck. Somebody found it. It's clearly better than everything else we could be doing. And without any additional tools, it doesn't seem like it's compatible. Oh, so I, I'm I'm just knocking on wood. Uh, when they banned land tax, uh, the argument that so I talked to uh, with uh, Rich Shea at LobsterCon, and I was just like, look, we should ban land tax, right? You know, Lanny's in the top four. They should ban land tax. So I was talking to Lanny's like, ah, uh, yeah, you know, uh, went to time in the round deciding who's going to go to top. Eight, top eight between me and another land tax deck. Maybe we should ban it, you know, like, which is like, we shouldn't ban land tax and there's not enough data. And I'm like, well, the problem with land tax is, is not that there's not enough data. It's that, like, the decks that land tax is good in are typically Mox Diamond decks. So there's not data because people don't necessarily have like six grand for Mox Diamonds, not because they, um, not because there's not enough land tax data, right? And so, Regardless of my reason, you know, Rich is like not enough, not enough data, right? He said, but what there is enough data on is Phyrexian Dreadnought. So Phyrexian Dreadnought should probably get banned, right? And uh, I really dislike this idea because I had finally just bought a set of Phyrexian Dreadnoughts, right? So I didn't own, I had proxy Phyrexian Dreadnoughts for the longest time. Phil Nguyen issued uh, official New York uh, Order of the Sacred Torch. Phyrexian Dreadnought proxies were what I was using to play Phyrexian Dreadnought decks. So I was just like, I guess I'm going to be serious in this format. Well, I'm not doing anything else with my uh, with my store credit. I'm going to buy a set of Dreadnoughts. So I think that Phyrexian Dreadnought is unambiguously the most powerful card in pre-modern right now, right? So it would not surprise me uh, if if Aaron broke the format that you would just ban Dreadnought. Like, if you look at it, like, it's in... It's in the deck that won LobsterCon in 2022, uh, which was the Angry Hermit deck, with, uh, used in half the time Fraction Dreadnought's power and toughness to feed a Suture Ghoul was its main feature, not even its combo potential with uh, with Vision Charm and Stifle. Right, so it's hyper-flexible. It's in that deck. It's in, you know, Itai Kurtzman, again, came in second at LobsterCon with, uh, with Blue White Dreadnought. Uh, at the Eternal Weekend uh, event, uh, I, I don't know the gentleman's name, but I don't think he's ever played a pre-modern tournament before. He played Blue White Dreadnought to the final uh, and won it. Uh, the deck is super good because Dreadnought is super good. And um, it, it, it's like it's in this Doomsday deck that I described also, right? The card is incredibly overpowered it's 12 12 trample and i think that people don't realize how important the trample is on this it is very meaningful 
uh, yeah. in, in this context. It's 12 spell trample for one mana, and there is no shortage of ways to get around it. Like, it's played in great combo, right? In And in Pandemonium decks, for reasons, you know, just you never have to pay the, the penalty for it. So to answer your question, Phil, they would just ban Dreadnought because Dreadnought is probably too good. Um, I think Dreadnought is counterbalanced by two things right now, which is that not everybody plays Dreadnought all the time, only Dave Kaplan. Uh, and uh, <laughs> Friend of the show. The, and there are other decks that you can, you can you can fill your deck like if you have a uh, you know six red elemental blasts and nothing but mog salvages, which is the approach that I take. You can compete with dreadnought decks and sideboarded games, but you still lose game one with a red deck an overwhelming percentage of the time, especially those first. Right, card is super good, and you know I'm just going to be one of the dum dums who paid retail for them, and uh, it's going to get banned, and then you know that'll just be, you know I I I well was let in Phil a... tell you about his mox diamonds that he bought. I was in a store, uh, I, a friend of mine who's been playing for a long time, but, you know, had a, a long lapse in his in his career. He plays in pre-releases and stuff now. I'm like, how much do you think that, that card is? He's like, I don't know, five bucks? I'm like, I'm, I'm guessing five fifty. The card was Baneslayer Angel. Like, how much do you think I paid for it uh, in 2009 after my friend Andre Poimper won the World Championships? And the answer is $55, $55. per. Yeah. $55. Five five, Zach. Yeah. Oh, God. So fifty more dollars than what you thought you were going to pay. <laughs> fifty-five per, not fifty-five yeah. for the yeah, set. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Wallet Slayer Angel, they used to call him. Yeah, so they they would ban Red Knot, and uh, I mean, I don't know, like you, I think it's dangerous to have a bunch of cascading bans um, because, like, once you ban Red Knot, like the red deck might become prohibitively good. You know, it's going to change the dynamics of the format quite a bit. I think that and one it thing that you... also offers people to start calling for blood every time a deck starts doing well, which is something you don't, especially in this close format, you don't want to have people doing. Uh, I think a thing that might be interesting is that maybe we have a rotating band list, right? So um, maybe maybe we unban Flash for a while, maybe we unban Demonic Consultation for a while, right? So uh, a thing that people complain about is the card, uh, the color black is is underrepresented relative to the other four colors, right? Like, the other four colors each have um, meaningful footholds, and, you know, white doesn't... There's not really mono-white decks. Like, there's the Stacks deck that Thursday as God just played. There's white weenie variations, land still, but there's not really a white deck. But there are, um, you know, green decks in the form of elves, red decks of multiple multiple types, and, and so on. Obviously, mono-blue, blue-white, black-blue... Uh, twelve total decks, as well as other other counter and control decks, but there's not really any black decks other than the rock um, that that people play at a high level of frequency. Maybe we'll make black good for a few weeks, right? So I think maybe a rotating band list might be the solution, and that would that would shake things up. And also, um, but you know, you know, you don't get to play Necro all the time. You maybe you get to play Necro for three months or something, uh, and then you know we'll go back to it being banned, and we'll we'll unban land tax. That that might be that might be a solution because I don't think you could just like ban because it would just ban land tax and then you just go ban dreadnought like that is just going to upend. It's just too different now, right? Like uh, I don't I don't even know what happens. I, I I'm sure the red deck will be prohibitively good if that happens. But, um, I don't know what else happens. Do you think there's any decks right now? Speaking as somebody who is still looking for uh, an archetype to play and is just you know brewing as much as i can i looked up on scryfall i typed in the word whenever uh in a in text to look at what cards are legal in pre-modern that do it whenever and there is only one card and it's scrap heap and so i've been brewing with scrap heap michael j uh, this is where i'm at so i, I, need I don't some, know what scrap some... heap does so scrap heap is a three mana artifact that says whenever an artifact or enchantment dies you gain a life oh god so it's a it's a soul net for artifacts uh yeah, I don't you know. Don't, it's, it's, not one. <laughs> it's not manigated. So I'm over here being like, okay, I'm gonna, you know, essentially sit behind a, a, an ensnaring bridge with my Thran turbine and my soothsaying, and essentially, you know, demonic tutor every turn after I get all these pieces online and you can't touch me, and then I'll just win by, you know, putting all these cursed scrolls into play. And here we are. Can this we? Is, can we trigger? Can we? Can we? Uh, I'm trying. There's no no sword of the meek, right? Like. <laughs> Yeah, no, yeah, yeah, no, nothing like sort that. Sort of the meekness. 
Oh, I don't know. Yeah, um, no, I'm, I'm just turn over here into an artifact and gain one life every turn, dude. I, I'm, I'm like Frexian Furnace, Urza's Bobble, like all like Chromatic Sphere. We're doing it yeah, all, need, and then we're you just need to get paid it. back. That's the problem. You're not even getting paid back one card a turn. Like you this need is, to get paid back is, uh, a you lot. Said, <laughs> right, right. Like, you you like, see you know, my like, issues. I have this much garbage in my deck. Like the more garbage you have in your deck the harder you have to get paid back. Like, that's that's the thing. Like, if you're going to mm-hmm. play, like, a two-card combo deck, I'm like, all right, um, these cards aren't really good unless you have, you know, other cards in concert with them or whatever. But it's a small part of your deck. You're talking about, like, oh, listen to all the different artifacts I can have that don't block Jackalpaw. They're, <laughs> they're all going to be in there, right? Like, yeah. you yeah, need I, to get I, I, paid back. Capital the, the game B, plan capital is just B, be just like your name. I think I think I think your your the the fact that they don't block uh, Jackalpup is actually good because then they go to the graveyard. <laughs> well, like I'll play Ornithopter, and then the Jackalpup attacks. You block it, and then you gain a life. <laughs> yeah, but you're going to quickly run out of Ornithopters. At yeah. that. <laughs> Unfortunately, well, by that mm-hmm. time you'll have like what twenty seven life. <laughs> yeah, sounds great. <laughs> 27 life and no cards. Let's well, maybe you by then you put a shield sphere out and, and then you can, you know, you oh. can infinitely block the uh, jackal pup. What, what if okay. you had a, is there a it's uh, what's the name of it? Uh the white white enchantment uh enduring renewal? Can we endure yeah. renewal? Enduring renewal, yeah. That enduring like a card that like has not been explored enough. Why don't we just kill the opponent instead of gaining one life at a time? <laughs> like, I feel yeah. like that's not Yeah. Is this card? Ba- I hope it's not banned. Did I say something stupid? No, Enduring Renewal is not banned. I have a playset of them that I picked up uh, because I was like, this okay. might be something. Like the old, the old thing was like Onulet and uh, and like Ashenod's Altar and like gain infinite life. Can I do like Altar of Dementia? Yeah, Altar of Dementia would work. Be. Yeah, yeah, that's got to be the thing, right? Is um, is there uh, in, in the format right now? Is there anywhere that LED is actually good? Doomsday. Uh, I don't know the Doomsday deck that Flintmake doesn't have any yeah. Lion's Eye Diamond. It just has. the like hard just Doomsday deck. Uh, used to have them. I haven't played Doomsday in a long time, but that was the one that like won by recycling Funeral Charm over and over and over again. Yeah, Tom uh, Charm, was playing right? that recently. Ebony Charm. Yeah. 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 What was Tom doing? Oh, he was playing the he was playing the Doomsday deck that had. I I needed him to explain it to me. I there's just a bunch of cards that I'm like. <laughs> I, I, I know definitely what these saw cards that deck. Do, and was like, how's this win? But, yeah, <laughs> it's like, well, you make these piles, and then I'm like, ah, I don't know. It seems like a lot reading. <laughs> well, where so where can people and and they most people are already going to know, but where can people find find you on on the internet right now? So I have a YouTube. I have a YouTube channel that I haven't updated in six months. Uh, it's slash five with Flores. Links uh, below. <laughs> so I have a YouTube channel. I have a website that I haven't updated in even longer. It's a five with Flores.com. Uh, but I write uh, weekly magic articles on cool stuff, Inc. Uh, and about once a month, I'll write something on pre modern. Usually I'll write about contemporary formats or new sets. Um, so I'm on Cool Stuff Inc. And then if you want to follow me on like uh, X, uh, I guess Twitter or whatever, I'm Five with Flores on, on that. Uh, and then I have a podcast with Lanny Huang called The Spy Colony. Uh, I, have a, uh, I have a Facebook page that I invited Phil to, but I don't think he took me up on it, called Premodern for Non-Idiots. I did. Oh, I'm in did. there. Oh, okay. Yeah, cool. yeah. So it's called Premodern for Non-Idiots. Although this week we decided... I'm very torn on this, right? So when I made pre-modern for non-idiots, I didn't realize that some people wouldn't take it, right? Right? So I thought, like, you know, like, I'm not calling you an idiot. I'm saying if you're a non-idiot, you can join. <laughs> you know? Yeah. And, and in the welcome message or whatever, just like, thanks for finding us. If you're, you know, you're welcome to join, just don't be an idiot or I'll kick you. And it's like, that's, that's yeah. what it says. Yeah, it's like... Um, so, uh, you know, some of my friends were just like, were you just having a bad day? Like, and they all thought that the, the, the Facebook page was going to die because like Facebook pages get created and just die. But it is a thriving pre-modern Facebook page. Dozens of people are joining every week and there's great discussion. And it's called pre-modern for not idiots, but I've been torn because I was just like, well, when I made this, I didn't realize some people would take it badly. And the thing that bothers me is like, I'm very like, 
the things that I hate in magic are like, I don't like when people diminish other people's accomplishments. I really hate gatekeeping, that kind of stuff. And I'm guilty of gatekeeping as a result of this, not intentionally, but because people are like, oh, well, I'm not smart enough to be in this group. And I'm like, no, no, you're super welcome. Just don't be an idiot. And like, look, this is the, this is the list of things that, that I would consider idiotic, right? And, uh, you know, you're having a different idea than me isn't idiotic. That's the kind of, that's the kind of conversation we want to have in the group, right? So, so I was talking to my uh, podcast co-host, Lanny, and I was just like, well, should we change the name? And he's just like, I know a bunch of people who are just definitely not idiots who are afraid to join because <laughs> they're, like, they're afraid they're going to be exposed as idiots. So I was just like, see, that's not the vibe that I'm going for. So I put a poll up. But a lot of the longer standing people who've been in the group are like vehement that, um, that it should stay pre modern for not idiots. He's just like, gatekeeping is good if it focuses the content, right? And, uh, and I'm like, oh, I never thought about that before. And somebody else said, somebody else said, I actually, ask myself before i make a post in this group if the thing that i'm saying is idiotic and if it is i don't hit return and i'm like wow that's actually the internet needs more of that right? yeah so i'm very torn because i want to change i i'm the one who made it pre-modern for non-idiots and i want to change it because i don't want to be non-inclusive right but my non-idiots are like no we we like the not idiotic conversation going on and so I'm, I'm, I don't know. I'm, I'm really happy with this group. So if you are interested in pre-modern, you are very welcome to join. Uh, there's like a gating question now, uh, not because I don't want to be inclusive, but because it's getting a lot of bots. So the gating question is just like, what's your favorite pre-modern deck? You just put like, you know, elves or doomsday or whatever you like. Um, and I'll let you in. Right. Uh, but like a lot of the bots or whatever, don't know what a pre-modern deck is. So they don't answer the question. And I don't One day they'll in. know. Yeah, so well, right, I, don't I, answered, yet. I, I think I answered Didgery Doomsday, and that's when I recognized <laughs> that maybe I was I was uh, not Perhaps the best candidate. <laughs> yeah. So no, I I really like so um so people are like oh is it just pre modern for spikes and I'm like no one of the things that I have experienced the most joy in recently is making this meme red deck which is like. New printing, new border, red elemental blast. New printing, new border, pyroblast. Like hunting down these Brian Hacker gold bordered curse scrolls that I'm going to have Brian resign over. Like, look, the, these ridiculous Mog fanatics that look like Santa stealing on, uh, uh, you know, from from Christmas or something. Like I, that isn't spiky, right? That's just me experiencing joy by, uh, you know, the same as you, Phil. Like you're just bringing out your your cards with uh with a little altering paint, right? And I, I want to share that. And I love putting, I love putting um, deck picks and people like putting deck picks. And it, the thing that it's really funny was like, well, at the risk of being an idiot, here's my question. And I kind of love that. Right. So uh, it's not just for spikes. Like people have ideas and they want to exchange them. People experience joy. Uh, people are using it for their meetups in other cities, which is fantastic to me. Right. So recently in, I think Madison, Wisconsin, uh, some guys posted, they had a meetup in a cigar shop. and. Like, you know, I'm not a smoker or anything, but I think it's effing cool that they had a meetup in a cigar yeah. shop, right? So, uh, you know, you're welcome to join Premodern Prana. It's just don't be an idiot. And I've never kicked anyone out. Uh, although I thought about it once. I was like, so here's the thing. I like trash talk. Super pro trash talk. I hate shit talk, right? Like, I don't like people just putting people down. I don't like... I really hate people diminishing other people's accomplishments. And I feel like... That's like the worst thing to me in Magic. Um, you know, people work really hard. It's not up to somebody how many rounds of tournaments. It's just like, oh, well, your tournament wasn't long enough for me to acknowledge that you won it. You know, like, well, it wasn't up to me, you know, how many, uh, how many rounds the tournament was. All I did was play my best. Why do you have to take that away from me? And the answer is that person doesn't have to take it away from you. They're just being an asshole, right? So uh, I don't like that. I don't like people say stuff all the time that's just like, not in pre-modern for non-idiots, but like in, in other contexts, we're like, oh, well, they only won three rounds or like, oh, can we really take this seriously? They play in such and such a region or something. Just like, you know, screw off. Uh, so I don't I wouldn't tolerate that. But, you know, for the most part, your stupid idea is probably not that much stupider than my stupid idea. I, mean, I think that's, a, that's a perfect way to end the podcast right there. <laughs> um, 
Michael, uh, thank you, thank you for coming on, and again, uh, thank you for uh, for uh, the contribution to the MC Chicago panel. Uh, again, if you uh, if you're going to be in Chicago, definitely uh, check that Saturday at like five thirty. Check that out. I'm sure we'll also like record it so so people can Zach, don't watch it. Sign off yet? Oh, what's up? Boomer Book Club. Boomer Book Club. Oh, let's talk about it. You have deep so magic. Boomer Book Club. One, you were invited. Uh, our next episode, I think, is like chapter five or six. So you know, I want to uh, say, I want to say that Baxter claims that he once thought that Nevin Rawls' disc was the most powerful artifact until he was introduced to James Dayton. Oh and yeah. Then in the next chapter, he talks about a red white book burning deck. So. It's it's the book. It's James Day Tome, and he uses it to get burn, uh, including such cards as disintegrate. Yeah, I, in an oh, era, yeah. in an era when Necropotence and Green White Armageddon were two of the most powerful decks, along with land tax being legal and standard. <laughs> I have a hard time <laughs> believing that Baxter really thought <laughs> that James Day Tome was the most powerful artifact. More powerful than Neverneral's disc, which was a four of staple in the yeah. format defining Necromunds deck. Is that in the book in front of you? Uh, well, it's. I'm sure it's in here. I think my favorite one from this was there was a deck. It was like a, a green and black deck that, like, the whole idea was to like gain life off of Dark Heart of the Wood. Uh, and I don't remember what the payoff was, but the payoff was was bonkers ridiculous. No, it's, it's just a better Zuranor. Right, so Zeranorb is only two life. Dark Heart of the Wood is three life. What are you, an idiot? Yeah, I, like, I must. I must deck? be an idiot. Yeah, you're, you're a clown. Come on. The other good one, the other deck it's that I really loved, life, that Zach. I actually, I spent money as like a fifteen year old making this deck was the um, psychic. Uh, the uh, what was it? Psionic, uh, psionic fiend. Like it was a two two for like four mana that tapped to do two damage to a target, but dealt three damage to itself. Or three damage to yeah, it was three damage to itself. So you put a holy strength on it so that it survived, and then it also played Spirit Link, so you could gain like five life off of that. And then uh, it would also it also played uh, Orcish Artillery, so it was like a three color deck that like completely was just trying to like turn your entire deck into Prodigal Sorcerers. Oh, I mean, one of my a combo player. <laughs> one of my first serious decks was Circle of Protection Red. Orcish Artillery, Orcish oh, yeah. Cannoneers. Oh, yeah. Right? Then I'm like, oh, wow, this makes so much sense because I have Circle of Protection Red. Circle when, Protection when did you figure White. out that you could just do that with, with uh, what's it called? Uh, Force of Nature with Circle of Protection Green? I don't know. Then I, I'm like, <laughs> this deck already makes so much sense because of Circle of Protection Red. Then I added Circle of Protection White, Acacian Moneylender. Ah, so, I, I know all about you and the Acacian Moneylender. I, I, I listened to that book. Yeah. So, <laughs> No one could beat this deck. You wrote a whole article about the Acacia Moneylender. No one could beat this deck unless they weren't playing red or white. (laughs) In which case, my deck was very bad. You're like, I will pay one white mana and bolt myself. (laughs) Don't worry, it'll pay off later. All right, I'll let you know. This All is right. Super well, fun. again, Thanks thank for you, me. thank you for uh, thank you for being on the cast. We got to have you on again again soon. This was a blast. Phil, am um, I going to see you on Thursday? Meet up at Bifrost. You sure are. Week. All right. See you. Oh, yeah. Again. All right. I'll be there. Thank you, everybody, right. for watching. Have a good weekend. Bye bye. For the gift that keeps on giving all year round, join our Patreon at Patreon.com/EternalDirtles. And hey, check out this playlist we got up here with all of our interviews over the last couple of years. Some great people from the Legacy community. Some really great guests.